Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. First star of the home opener. Do you guys know? You, the fans. Well, actually, yeah. The LCA, but... As a joke, do you know who the first star of the home opener was? Goldhorn. Eminem. The kid behind Bob Boogner during the intro <laughs> uh, yes. was making the faces. <laughs> the best part about that, the second best part about that was the kid obviously being smacked by the parent at the end of it. The best part about that is they panned over to Newsy next and he very obviously was chuckling at it. <laughs> <laughs> like he knows how it goes with sons. Like he he knew you have to appreciate the game there. You sit behind the bench, it's fair game. A hundred percent. And you know what? The behind the bench story with fans has had a lot of different chapters and that is an original. I've never seen that one before. So no. that, that kid will live in infamy. I was telling Brad before we hit record here, like, and we're going to talk about the, the goal horn, the goal song and everything. But last night felt like a movie about a new Detroit Red Wings. And oh God, am I going to get clipped and radioed and mocked for saying that when Detroit goes on an inevitable like same old Red Wings losing streak or whatever. Well, every horror movie starts with some happy <laughs> happy scene to make the the turn that much more jarring. But, or maybe this is you know, this could equal parts could be Barbie or Oppenheimer, we'll find <laughs> out. Yes. Hey, I was the most uh, optimistic of our season preview points. And I knew I was being overly optimistic, but I'm going to stick to that. That is my MO all year is, is Ryan the Optimist. I already forgot how much I predicted. Less than me. I'll tell you. Uh, that's as much as I can tell you. But genuinely, like all of it coming together felt like a movie about the Red Wings. Like the DeBrinckit's homecoming and Eminem playing after the goal and it being like a completely new song that actually had some like character and life and personality. The LCA was rocking. Like after a... Just like the last home opener last year when Elmer Soderblom scored and yeah. in the building. Yeah. Home openers, man, in Detroit. Yeah. Iconic. They Detroit doesn't do them poorly. Like, go back to Mantha's four goals against Dallas and the Bertuzzi's. Mike Green's hat trick. Yes. We were in the building. Yeah. By the way, this is our first home opener that we've had to miss for non-COVID reasons in a long time. Well, that. maybe not non-COVID reasons. Yeah, that, that's actually a great <laughs> point, as you and I are still stifling coughs. Yes. In the, on this episode of Ryan and Evan try to infect Brad, he has the 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 cover of a parent. That's His immune right. system is both terrible and amazing at the same time. You've seen that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns has everything? Yes, that's you. <laughs> that is me. And nothing can't fit yeah. through the door. That is me, right? All the time, especially this time of year. All right, folks. Well, we are going to have a lot to say about the home opener and the LCA and how is rocking and everything about the Red Wings. But for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey. Actual regular season games again. Yes, the win, the New Jersey game. What's up next? An interview with Max Boltman and so much more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, like I mentioned, we're going to be recapping Detroit's two games. We're going to go in reverse order. We're going to talk about the home opener first just because there is so much to that. And that's where the storylines are more or less drawn from. But we'll also be talking about Detroit's loss to New Jersey to open the season. Everything from DeBrinket to Raymond to Sprong to Wallman insider pairing to the defense overall. You know, the the choice between 12 and 6 or 11 and 7 for Derek Lalonde in the lineup. All of that and lots more. We'll be talking about progress in Grand Rapids. We have an interview with Max Boltman, who's going to talk to us about, you know, the start of the season, 
his projections, Mo Sider and his next contract, and his opinion on what you know Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power and others across the league have to say about that, and lots more before we get into some NHL news and then your questions in overtime. Before all that, a couple things. First of all, Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA, Saturday, November 4th. If you thought beating Tampa Bay like that was fun and the LCA was rocking, imagine what it's going to be like when they do the same thing to the Boston Bruins. And, and you get to wear a sick beanie. And you get to wear a sick, co-branded, officially licensed Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast beanie. And you get to come see us and, more importantly, Ken Daniels before the game record a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast at Little Caesars Arena. So your ticket gets you into the game, into the live pod before, gets you the beanie. You sit in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. There are tickets available in the lower and upper bowl remaining. Additionally, it's a discounted ticket. You get it for a cheaper price than you would otherwise, with all that included, and a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So more importantly than everything else, it's all for a great cause. So wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings to get your tickets or go to the link in the description of this episode. We are on our last batch of available tickets after they're out. They're out. We can't promise any more. And the hats are only promised to these this first chunk of tickets that are bought. So the lot we're under well under a hundred remaining. So if you want your tickets, get them today. They do start to go fast, especially once the season starts. So wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings. Secondly, Wings Money on the Board, a campaign that we started two-ish years ago. Uh, us three alongside Prashant Iyer, good friend of the show and obviously host of Expected by Whom, uh, alongside Sean Shapiro. It's a campaign where we use the incredible, incredible energy in the Detroit Red Wings fan community, the Winged Wheel podcast listenership and beyond to raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. Go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wings, M-O-T-B to find out more. Make your pledges, enter to win great prizes, but more importantly, again, support a fantastic cause. And we'll be talking about that more in the future. For now, let's jump right into it the Red Wings home opener, their second game of the season, an electric win. And I, I again, I'm going to say this again to Max later, but not a pun. Detroit home openers never fail. How unreal of an experience was that to watch the Red Wings rise to the occasion, dominate a foe in Tampa Bay who, you know, are no slouch of a team despite missing Vasilevsky and, and the loss of players over time and really kind of show an offensive output that we didn't, project to be there it was beyond all the obvious adjectives it was reassuring that especially considering it was to it with two sprung with one comfort with one that the new additions were worthwhile and, and paid immediate dividends obviously um you know sprung and to it both scored in the first game as well so it was just you know furthering mm-hmm. that it it was weird too because it felt like the Red Wings just had this energy that I have not seen from them in a long, long time. We've seen them have games like this before. Hell, last year's home opener against Tampa, very similar. But that was more of a, oh, that was unexpected. This is fun. Like, wow, hope uh, hope we get a couple more of these this year. This felt different than that. This felt like Detroit going, you know, putting their boot on their neck going, no, we're here now too. Not to the, I, I I don't think Detroit's finishing ahead of Tampa in the standings, but that gap could be substantially closer by the end of the season this year. And Detroit was kind of proven the point of not only can we hang with you, 
when we stomp the gas pedal, we can absolutely throttle you, pun intended. <laughs> fully, I fully agree, though. Like Detroit has had unreal performances in important games against Tampa before, but they came up short. Think last year where Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky them when they were fighting for the playoffs or other home openers or whatever it might be. And even the best of Detroit's performances oftentimes fell short because you were like, yeah, they've exhausted their arsenal and this is what they can do offensively and defensively. You see the expected goal charts or the you know expect to win meter or whatever kind of metric or, or advanced analytics site that, that tracks this kind of thing or just use your eyes and watch the game. Like, yeah, Detroit went pedal to the metal for so much of that game and dominated them. Like the shots at one point in the third period were roughly 40 to 20. Like, th- this was not a close game by the metrics. This was a close game because some goalie I never he- heard of made, like, seven 10-bell saves <laughs> in the first and second period to keep Tampa in it. I remember I sent uh, kind of like a snarky but legitimate tweet saying, I never thought I'd say this in my life, but Tampa's lucky. They're only losing to the Detroit Red Wings by one goal with how this game has gone. Yeah. And Detroit wasn't a fault-free team, and we'll get into that. Like, they had some mistakes and a lot of mistakes that carried over from New Jersey wherein, you know, talking heads like us, we're going to needle in on those and say, is this going to become a trend? And Detroit outshot and outscored and out-offensed their mistakes to the point where, in the end, they they won. Yeah, like, the Red Wings really did a—I mean, in a win, they still won the game, so I don't want to sound like I'm I'm being negative. They did a great job minimizing the mistakes they made. They still made quite a few, but they did enough to win the game, and I thought they were the team that deserved to win that game. God, this guy's so negative all the time. I I don't want that to be taken as a negative. It's like too late. Screw yeah, this guy. I know. I'm I'm, I'm not for... even staring into the camera yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I like honestly, I, I agree with what you guys said. I think the Red Wings played a great game. There was you know clearly some early season gaffes and. When you make those mistakes to Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, they bury them. Yeah, and we d- we definitely saw that. But all in all, like it was a great energy game, home opener. The fans were into it. The team obviously was building off that. You gotta, you got if you want to be better, you gotta beat teams like Tampa. Brandon Hagel just kicked his dashboard listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two things before we talk about the actual hockey. One. Credit to the Detroit Red Wings. They brought in a new goal horn system that isn't just a recording of the old goal horn. And they did their best to replicate with genuine goal horns what we are used to from Joe Lewis Arena. And I have to say, it sounds fantastic. Everyone, like the resounding feedback that I heard was, of course, you can never replicate Joe Lu- the Joe Lewis Arena and all their unique acoustics in that barn completely. Like, it's almost impossible to do. But this one sounded close and sounds like real and full and it way better, way better. And it's so funny because you're like, what does that matter for hockey? But yeah, it's, it's part it of the matters. atmosphere. It matters. You're paying a hundred bucks for a ticket. You can watch the game at home. Most of the money you pay for to go to a sporting event is the atmosphere. Every little piece of information and, and everything in the environment all adds up to an ex- a fan experience. Yeah. And the goal horn is a big part of that. Yeah, 100% agree. Now I have to ask you guys, because the goal horn is like unanimous. Everyone loves it. It's such a big improvement. No one can hate on the fact that, like relatively speaking, this is now, a, it, it's a good thing again. Where are you guys on the Eminem goal song without me? 
without spoiling anything, you in the overtime episode that's already been recorded, you yep. made a tremendous point on that. So I'll, I'll leave that for that. Uh, I'll repeat what I said there. I like it. It's fun. I can definitely see it growing old fast. We need to score. We need to be more defensively responsible and play two one games. So I don't have to hear. You know what? So, these things are great. But if your team's going to score, like, and you have to listen to that all the time, anything could get old. It could be the greatest song ever, ever produced. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, okay. I, I feel like the the fun in this goal song is the nights like last night where they score yeah. six goals on Tampa and Tampa has to sit there and listen to it yes. six times. Yes. But if it, if you, if the Red Wings are down six nothing and they score one goal, it's like I I'm not. Th- here that for was this. the point he made in the overtime. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I said. Like first of all, it's na 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 na. Like it, it is mocking the opponents. Yes. It is Detroit's Chelsea dagger. I'm shocked they could find 20 seconds of Marshall Mathers music that didn't have a swear word. I feel like it's a five second loop. They just kept replaying. <laughs> okay, but that song is iconic, and they they can actually use different parts of that song. Like if someone goes leaves for a while on injury and comes back and scores like guess who's back like they can play that segment it has the same vibe and i don't mind that people find it annoying because i think if detroit can have their chelsea dagger i think that's hilarious and you know what it has personality has character it screams detroit the only thing is you have to be a team that scores because if you do go do go down like five nothing in a game and then you score like robbie fabry does his thing where he scores at the end of a game because he like you know plays a full 60 or whatever Sometimes. Uh, do, you, <laughs> do you think if instead, if that's one of those goals, instead of playing uh, that Eminem song, they just play the chorus to Stan? <laughs> Anyways. We paid I, for the whole Marshall Mathers catalog of music. We will use it. <laughs> I loved it. I, I understand how it's divisive, but as I was saying to Brad and as I was saying at the top of the show, it made the whole night feel like a movie about the Detroit Red Wings and their start to the season. Which is fun. Let's- but I would love. Sorry, one last point on or a thought on that is individual goal songs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Buffalo's doing that. I don't know how many other teams, but that's what I ultimately would always want is individual player goal songs. Because if you go through Buffalo's list, oh, they made some choices, and I respect the hell out of every it's just one like of them. Walk good up and songs, bad. right? Like some of them are ridiculous. Sometimes players get pranked and they put on like Barbie Girl or yeah. something. What and- was it? Daniel Vogelbach came out to Milkshake. Oh Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. That's amazing content. Okay, let's talk about actual hockey here because so far we've just talked about acoustics. <laughs> we have to start with Alex Debrinkit. What a homecoming for him. You know, his parents were there. The whole story was he's wanted to play for Detroit his whole life. And the narrative following him from Ottawa was he didn't have the best season. He scored a measly 27 goals or whatever it was. And, you know, Ottawa fans are saying he didn't really give it his all. And is that going to carry over? Alex Dabrinkit has wanted to be a Detroit Red Wing his whole life. We know that because he said it. His parents have said it. Like, it's something that he's been very open about. Alex Dabrinkit is excited to be a Detroit Red Wing. Red Wings fans are excited to have him, and that showed up on the ice. What an amazing homecoming for him in front of the LCA crowd. Oh, it was electric. You'd love every second of it. We talked about the Red Wings uh, needing easy goals. He just bounces one in from the blue line. Yeah, fadeaway jumper, deflects off a stick, fluke goal. Doesn't matter. Counts all the same on the scoreboard. He's from the area. He knows the ice. He he read it perfectly. Absolutely. And that was his second, because he scored in the New Jersey game, which we'll talk about. But then the one that really, like, you got tingles was when Detroit went up 5-3. 
Larkin broke a puck free, used his unreal like world-class speed to go down on a two-on-one and pass it over to Debrinkit, who I actually saw some Ottawa fans go, why didn't he do that last year? That was the kind of thing he'd miss, but it was Because autumn- he was stuck playing on the second line in a town he didn't want to play in? With no Josh Norris at center, yeah. And Debrinkit buried it right away from Larkin, and you saw the connection between Larkin and Debrinkit. And That's what that was like the epitome of what we're looking for. Yes, exactly that. Like Larkin uses his speed. Debrinket has an all-world finish. It's just, it was nice. Doesn't matter that it's one top line or one goal scorer. Like you see the effects it has on the entire. It has the fans and the fan base now has another player to be genuinely excited for who scores goals. The most important thing to do in hockey. Dylan Larkin has someone else to pass to that isn't being like triple covered like Lucas Raymond was when he was his only offensive threat that he was playing with for a lot of last year. Larkin can actually, you know, expand his game. Are we going to see a new level to Dylan Larkin this year with more talent playing around him? Lucas Raymond looked fantastic on that line, like through and through. I get that it's just one player and you you can't extrapolate this into, yeah, the Red Wings are probably going to make the conference finals this year just because of Alex Dabrinkit, but the impact cannot be understated here oh it's the perfect top line it's the exact chemistry you want you have the playmaker in Larkin who is setting up goals for both games you got the sniper in Alex Debrinkit who's just finding already three different ways to put the puck in the net and then you've got the goon in Lucas Raymond just chucking <laughs> yeah, dudes into right. benches D- Lucas Raymond man I know it's 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 become so funny because every given moment we're talking about yeah Lucas Raymond put on 8 to 12 pounds of muscle this year you can see it on him he does look more explosive, but you talk about it so much leading up to the season. You're like, ah, are we really going to see a difference? Oh, my God. <laughs> just yeets a dude next to Michael Rasmussen. Have a seat, buddy. That hit on Asimont where he went a perfect 180, flipped his feet over his head into the Red Wings bench was the only thing better than that hit was Mickey on the broadcast losing his mind <laughs> laughing about it. Like, I, I, I don't know. The one thing that might have ke- kept up with the hit was uh, the still image that came from it. <laughs> just just an upside down Tampa Bay player in the bench. And he was laughing as he got up too because he oh. knew he got caught. Oh, oh yeah. Rasmussen's face at the moment of impact was phenomenal. Amazing. Lucas Raymond throwing a big hit. Lucas Raymond looked great in both games. Lucas Raymond contributing offensively by throwing a puck at the net, getting his shot through and, and got on the score sheet, which was good because he had a bad whiff in the first game as well. So it's, yeah. good, it's good that he got one, uh, a little bit of an easier goal there. He had some other chances too where uh, Johansson just made a good save on him. 100%. But Lucas Raymond overall has looked great to start the season, has looked more explosive, very obviously looks stronger, is winning puck battles. But we talked about it before, so I want you to mention it here, Brad. He looks good on that first line. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's, you know, this whole episode should be prefaced by saying we know it's only two games, but. So that being said, I know it's only two games, but I saw two periods of that top line with David Perron and four periods of that top line with Lucas Raymond. There's no going back. It was night and day difference. They were unbelievable. Uh, The actual goals on the score sheet were very heavy in their favor. The analytics were very heavy in how dominant they were. It works. The chemistry is there. The line is phenomenal. If they play relatively close for the rest of the season to what they did through these four periods, that's a top 10 line in the league. Yeah, yeah they were, I agree. Like, it's not just that they shoveled in the four goals that they did over two games. 
Like they almost, I don't remember watching them defend. It feels like they were in the offensive zone applying pressure every time they were on the ice, which I know isn't factually true, but it was so dominant. That's just how it felt. You look at the expected goals chart and Detroit like annihilated Tampa Bay over the course of a game. Like that is crazy. At points in the New Jersey game, like I think they had really good stretches. The first period was outstanding and they had some stretches otherwise, but New Jersey is an unreal team. Uh, but from the Tampa Bay game by uh, Dom Lutrician's uh, game score, Detroit's three best players in order, Alex DeBrinkett, Lucas Raymond, Dylan Larkin. All three of them, every category, offense, defense, production, and, and the miscellaneous category, all in the positive, nothing negative. They looked great out there. You hope that sticks. And yeah, for me, Brad, I fully agree with you. If you have Raymond doing this, you maximize him by putting him on that first line. I understand that that leaves the second and third lines missing some talent, but I it, literally don't care. They did. They weren't getting caved. No, they, they weren't doing a ton offensively. Comfort had that nice tip. Comfort, I think Comfort's looked really good. Yeah, he's games. looked really good. Rasmussen's looked really good, and and they didn't dominate both games, but they looked competent, which is kind of the theory I had before the season. Load up that first line and have a second line that can tread water against other second lines, even if they're not contributing a ton offensively. And that's, for the most part, what they did. And again, the Red Wings' bottom six matched up very well against uh, both New Jersey and Tampa's bottom six. So this was the formula I was hoping to see. And it looks like this is the potential or this is the formula to at least be interesting this year. As part of my new take on an outlook, my new bit this season of Ryan the Optimist. I'm going to be referring to Raymond as Raymond 2.0 because I think this is his natural next step in his career progression. I think this is going to keep improving over the course of the season. No, but he had his rookie year. We need it to 2.0. It doesn't apply. This is kind of like the the re-beginning. The Raymond, Lucas Raymond rises like a dark a dark night thing going on over here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's it? Yeah. Lucas Raymond returns. Yeah. Yeah, it's more like returns. Anyhow, someone else who I've been very optimistic about and the most efficient goal scoring you'll ever see because I don't know that it, either of them came off of a real shot, but Daniel Sprong, two goals in two games. Yeah, one off the shin pads, one just kind of pool cued it in from the goal line. Incredible stuff. That is the kind of elite shooting talent you're looking for. Hey, we need easy goals. There's those. There's always those guys who just are in the right position and goals just kind of find them. And Daniel Sprong and Alex DeBrinkett are kind of those guys. Like elite goal scorers just happen to put pucks in the net. Yeah, they're going to score some beautiful goals, but sometimes the puck just finds them and they get they get goals. You know what percentage of NHL goals are ugly? Most. 75 percent. At least, I'd say. Like you win hockey games, you win meaningful hockey games when you score the shitty ugly goals where you just know you kind of closed your eyes and whacked the, your, the puck with your stick and it went in. Yep. Don't I don't think NHL players actually closed their eyes. I think that was just me when I was younger kind of thing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phillips Adina might. <laughs> well, not hey, anymore. No, it's not got even, that apparently. salty air out there in uh, San Jose. Well, Zadina 2.0 is an actual thing. Of, of course he scored his first game with San Jose, but I digress. You just knew that was happening. But no Daniel Sprong again is it in the most Daniel Sprong way that we'd expect? No, but as we have talked about, and as Jeff Merrick has been raising the banner for, <laughs> banner for for years, yeah, Daniel Sprong is a guy who can score goals, and he's he's kind of continued that. Other positive storylines from the Red Wings in that game, I think Detroit's best defenseman through the first two games is Jake Wallman. Yeah, 
I, I would agree. And Prashanth didn't pay me to say that. I think anyone who watched can can see that. Jake Wallman has been, I think, Detroit's one of Detroit's only shining lights in terms of transition defense because the rest of it's been exceptionally poor. Oh, he might be the only one that's active in transition yeah. defense. He has covered for his teammates' mistakes and prevented high-danger chances on more than one opportunity. I think there's a shift in the New Jersey game where he had two breakups of really, really high danger plays from New Jersey, a, a very talented offensive team, and um, continues to mesh well with Cider. I know we're trying to be more family-friendly, but I feel like it's prudent to point out that he teabagged a guy that led to a Detroit <laughs> Red Wings power play goal. Veteran move. Yep. You got to be doing that out there. <laughs> hey, people Whatever think, takes the win. People, thinks, uh, people think Jack Hughes is you know from the TikTok here of NHLers. They don't know. Jake Wallman's TikTok game is elite. He knows how to <laughs> piss off the Zoomers. And you know <laughs> there there is one very specific TikTok that reminds me of without getting graphic. You know the one I'm referencing, and and he he did this step over on. We've all done this. Anyone who's played hockey has done this. You there's a collision. You're on top of a guy, and instead of just rolling off him, you crawl over him, and you know there are helmets between your legs, and you sit for a little second, <laughs> and then Jack Hughes lost his cool and slashed him, and and they drew the penalty. Veteran move, and then Alex Brinkett scored the tying goal on said power play. Yeah, Jake Wallman has looked. Really, really great. There's, I don't think Cider's game has been perfect, but I want to call out, first of all, you know, him and Raymond getting into the, the thick of it, like getting into a chippy game never fails to entertain. I love that. That's obviously part of Cider's game now. He had the unreal diving save at the blue line on the power play to, that eventually led to the Debrinka goal. Like that was, that's vintage Mo Cider right there. Like his reach and his ability to be dynamic, especially at the, uh, Offensive blue line. There's yeah. one person on this team that I'm not worried about that who's not Dylan Larkin. It's Mo Sider. Yeah, he's he, has, he just gets it at some point. If it's not game one, he, this conversation will be so ridiculous to listen to by the end of the season. Totally. He he's he. I'm not worried about him at all. I think we've seen it a couple times now where he has some defensive warts and some mistakes where you're like, ah, you know, he can do a lot better than that. But you hope this isn't a trend, and then it's not a trend. He figures it out. Yeah. Gap He's, control. Yes. And you know he can be so much better than that. Normally that was, in his rookie year, that was his biggest strength. Yes, right? Like the, the, the transition breakups in the neutral zone, he was elite at that. He can do it. Yeah. Anyhow, Early <laughs> season timing issue. That's all I'm chalking it up to. It has to be some rust, you know, meshing with Also him. doesn't help that you come out against two decently skating teams to start the season. Yeah, the, one, the, lightly, yeah. the one play where his poor gap control really got uh, highlighted was by Jack Hughes. So if his reaction watching Jack Hughes come up the ice full speed was, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. It's understandable. Small aside here. Jack Hughes is so good at hockey. Oh, he's so good. Not to be the negative again, but like. Oh my God, this guy. When you watch Jack Hughes, it's like, man, I really wish the Red Wings had a Jack Hughes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got a Mo Sider instead. I know, hot take. (laughs) Yeah, where... How long did it take you to research that one to come up with that opinion? Well, about 10 minutes of that first game. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a lot of attention like, span, buddy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> the Red Wings ended up winning against Tampa Bay uh, 6-4, and they, they moved to 1-1 one one because they actually lost the first game to the New Jersey Devils 4-3, and that was on the road two nights prior. It was uh, an interesting game. I think after the first period, we said, hey, Detroit looks good here. Like, they came out. And played like they did against Tampa Bay uh, two two days later, 
for the full game, but they did that for the, the first period, especially against New Jersey. They had a lot of offensive pressure. They had New Jersey on their heels. Before the game, they showed Lindy Ruff talking to the Devils and saying, let's go get the first five shots on goal and you know set the pace. The opposite happened. That's what Detroit did, and they set the tempo. They set the tone of the game. And you know Daniel Sprong, puck off his shins, opened up the scoring in the second period. It was a scoreless first. So I think the stories of the game for Detroit were, were good first period, especially scattered pressure throughout power play looked good they didn't really convert on opportunities as much as they needed to a lot of preventable penalties that burned them especially against a talented new jersey team and the defensive woes especially below the top pair but even like you mentioned brad a little bit with cider too those were uh worrying and that's what lost the game vanacek was outstanding for new jersey who so kept detroit in it a lot too but that game was a lot more of a, hmm, how are they going to stack up against the best of the best? Yeah, the obviously the transition defense, the giveaways at the offensive blue line, the ill-timed pinches, that was worrying in the first game because obviously outside the top pair, not many people in the world had a lot of confidence in the Red Wings' bottom four, and that game was, hey, the Red Wings look good, but this could be an issue. This actually looks like it could be a big problem because New Jersey had an endless stream of chances off the rush and two-on-ones and drawn penalties. And then the Tampa game happened and Tampa's scoring off three-on-twos, two-on-ones, breakaways. And it's like, ah. That was my biggest sort yeah. of takeaway from the first two games. But I think those are things that are very correctable in terms of uh, you know strategizing and game preparation. So it's to me, it's not the biggest thing. I, that first game, Billy Huso really held them in that game when they needed him. Yeah. That could have gotten ugly, but the Red Wings hung in there. They got some timely goal scoring. You just can't let guys like Jack Hughes and, and Dougie Hamilton kind of do what they want. You'll you'll remember from the season previews, I think very, 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 very highly of the New Jersey Devils. I think they're a cup competitor. I, I don't know how they'll actually succeed in the playoffs because they're a newly talented team or at least in a newer era of talented teams. I but mean, they won a playoff series last year. Yeah, but in terms of like going all the way to the cup. But I think they're among the best teams in the NHL. So for me, this is a mixed bag from Detroit. There were a lot of positives to draw and anyone who harped on that, well, you weren't wrong to draw on them because they translated directly to the Tampa game. The Tampa game was the New Jersey game, but better for Detroit. It was yeah. just tuned up. You still had the defensive woes, but the offense was outstanding. But yeah, I think you're right, Evan. That They... Some parts of the defense got exposed against guys who are game breakers, who can just turn it on to decide that, yeah, I want to cut across the the middle and expose one small flaw in, in someone's positioning or stick, and then, boom, goal. I, I think Jeff Petrie's first game was pretty bad. Like, that was rough. He had a lot of, you know, uh, bad positional mistakes, the penalty that we all saw at the end. Penalties. And, yep. It was not a good first game for Petrie. I just want to say, like, it's not wrong to criticize criticize them, and we're going to talk about the defensive woes too, but for me, it's like Petrie, brand new team. You have to kind of expect some warts. I don't think he's going to be a defensive stalwart, but you saw how much better he was the second game than the first. The whole team was better the second game than the first. But yeah, the defensive woes for Detroit, like this is going to be a situation where I wonder if we're going to see Simon Edvinson up sooner rather than later because it might not be working. Even Oli Mata, who we said is like, oh yeah, this is the steady Eddie, put him with that whoever and they'll stabilize the line. He had that ill-advised shot from the point that hit off his shin pad and went the other way. Like the the defense is going to be a question. Yes. The hope is between five of them, 
you can get 35 good minutes a game, which hasn't happened yet. But if you find the right mix, the right rotation, whatever it is, it could be passable. Justin Hole didn't look as bad as I thought he would. No, no. But, and you know, it, it mixed bag, but even in the first game where the defense looked bad, he he had a couple plays where I think he stopped a goal. Yeah. Um, Goss Despair looked passable at 5-on-5, five five, which was good. And obviously his offensive prowess was noticeable. He did throw a really bad screen on Husso on the Dougie Hamilton goal that you would like to see the defenseman get the hell out of the way for to let the goalie track it. It's going to happen. Schrott and Petrie had a couple rough games, so it's early. Defense is the hardest thing to get set at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, the timing's everything for defense, and until you play a bunch of games, it's hard to really get your timing down. So one would safely assume it's going to get better from here. The question is to what degree, and if it's not substantial, it's going to be hard to keep Edmondson out of the lineup. And I think that was the story no matter what. Like, you're going to hear in a minute here with Max, like, the belief that Edmondson was good enough to make the team is is all around. Like, that's a widely held. I think the only surprise here really isn't the decision that the Red Wings made because you can kind of see that coming once they brought in Petrie and you see the roster that they have. The surprise is how good Edmondson looks so soon after, you know, taking the ice again after his shoulder surgery. So... The fact that he's he's forcing the issue now is good. But even with Edvinson in, they're going to need to find a configuration, like you said, Brad, where they can get, you know, X amount of minutes that are not just serviceable, at least close to average so that the team doesn't get shelled. Because you're going to, like, Vili Husso, the first game, had really, really solid stretches. And I don't think he was particularly good against Tampa Bay. They just outscored any defensive woes or lack of, uh, like, unreal goaltending. But over the course of the season, that defense is going to need to kind of come together. And and do they have superstars in the second or third pair? No, but they're going to have to find a way to be at least halfway decent. Well, the whole point of bringing in veteran defensive defensemen is yeah. that you can bring in a Simon, Ed- Simon Edmondson and plug him in there. And he has a supporting cast that can, you know, sort of help him navigate the, the NHL. Yeah. That, that- and that's the job that they were brought in to do, and that's what they have to do. That's yeah. what the expectation is. Yeah. Someone said to me, oh, well, Detroit's locked into this until one of them gets hurt, and, you know. You literally can wave people at any time. And I think we've seen Steve Eisman is willing to make these decisions. It's harder when you see longer contracts, like you see Hall, you see Sherratt, and that's one that where you're like, even if you're like, oh, yeah, Steve Eisman's so cutthroat, he's not afraid to make the hard moves. Those ones are a little bit tougher to make, but the scratching of players or, or waving or whatever, like I think that'll come if it gets to a point where it's unavoidable. If, and I don't if, think we're far. If the whole MO is this team is going to be more competitive and we want to win, having Sidman Edvinson in the lineup in the top four feeds that that purpose and that that MO. Yeah. So I think at some point it will I think sooner rather than later it, that issue is going to be forced. What do you guys think of going 12 forward, 6 defense against New Jersey and then switching to 11 and 7 against Tampa Bay? Well, they didn't really have much of a choice, so I don't have too much thought into it. Like, you could call up a guy to get him in there last minute, plug him into the lineup, you know, Aston Reese or Zarnick or who the hell ever. I don't care. Yeah. I, I know it's it, it's been a talking point lately, as it should be. 
they have seven NHL defensemen. They have like 15 NHL caliber forwards. As long as Lalonde can properly run a bench, I truly, genuinely don't care which option he takes. Yeah, the reason their hand was forced is because in the first game against New Jersey, and you hate to rag on the guy or make a joke out of it because it's not really his fault, but Robbie Fabry got hurt. Man, that is the free square on my bingo card. So the immediate tweet I got was, didn't Evan call this? The, the, also, the coldest take I could probably put out there. And, you know, he scored the late goal against New Jersey. The goal scorers were sprung to bring it on the power play after it went uh, Goss spared to Larkin, and then the puck kind of squirted to the left side of the slot, and and to bring it fired it home in a way that was, that's a goal scorer's goal. He knows how to just rip it and finish. Uh, and then Fabry at the end of the game. They were down two, and he scored with like 32-ish, 33-ish seconds left. So he played the full game, and he must have tweaked something at some point. So they don't expect it to be long-term. He was out for the Tampa Bay game. We'll see if he's back for... Columbus on Monday night, uh, if not maybe Wednesday against Pittsburgh, uh, 7.30 Eastern that game. But yep, that was their hand forced. And that wasn't enough to bring up Peregrine or anything like that. So they just decided to stay essentially, like you said, Brad, it wasn't much of a difference. They stayed with the roster that they had. The questions could be thrown around about why they didn't have the extra forward up to begin with, but the team has already addressed that. Yep. Kind of. Yep. It's get them the reps in Grand Rapids. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. You're arguing about something that's not really going to make a lot of difference because that whoever came up wasn't going to get a ton of ice time. So that's why you have Zarnik coming up and down, Aston Reese coming up and down, that kind of thing. So those are the Red Wings' first two games, the loss against New Jersey, the win against Tampa Bay, an electric start at home. All in all, I think it's a thumbs-up kind of first two games of the season. I, I Far more optimistic after those two games than I was before them. Fully agree. You gave New Jersey a tough time and you beat the Tampa Bay Lightning at home in your home opener with... I'd say that's pretty much mission accomplished. Yeah. And the energy after the home opener had fans, including myself, ready to run through a wall. So that is, that's how you want to set the tone for the season. The Red Wings are now on the road. They are going to be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets on Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern before they host the Pittsburgh Penguins at home on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back with you for our next episode on Thursday. So two games before our next episode. Pittsburgh and Columbus are a much different test than New Jersey and Tampa Bay, but no less important, of course. Interesting measuring sticks in their own regard. You know, Columbus trying to rebound after a horrific season. Uh, Pittsburgh, obviously, no need to really discuss that. They're making the ultimate last dance push. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how they sort of stack up to both those teams, but for different reasons. It's funny because, like, obviously every game is important and you want to see how a team matches up to every one of their opponents. But with a every time there's a lot of turnover in a team, you really want to say, where are they compared to their peers? Where are they compared to this team that's way out of the playoffs or this team that should be a bona fide cup contender, that kind of thing? I'm very much more interested in the Saturday game against Ottawa. That is going to be, I feel like every Ottawa game this year is going to be a bloodbath. I absolutely agree. The Red Wings have a lot to prove, not only for, for this season to see where they stack up, but uh, make amends for last season. Fully agree. Like, they know, and when we talk all year about, yeah, Detroit and Ottawa and Buffalo, they're all in the same part of their rebuild. Maybe Buffalo's ahead and you're just talking about the, the Sens and the Red Wings. The teams know that too. Like, they carry those narratives as well. Like, those, those games now mean something more. I think you're seeing a new rivalry be born here. 
Elsewhere, the Junior Red Wings, the Grand Rapids Griffins and the AHL are off to a hot start. 2-0. They beat the Colorado Eagles twice. That was some kind of performance in his first game, Grand Rapids' second game in his first start for Sebastian Cosa. A 41 save on 43 shots effort, earning himself a first star honors of the night. That was what you wanted to see. Phew. Glad that's resolved. <laughs> that's it. Oh, that's the yep. end of the conversation. Oh, wash our hands clean of that. And from now on, that's the Sebastian Cosa narrative. We will hear nothing else. They beat the Colorado Eagles uh, 3-2 on October 13th, and they followed it up with a 5-2 win on the same night as Detroit's uh, home opener. The Edvinson uh, scored. Berggren got two assists. The Cosa. The right people are getting the goals. Yeah. They had uh, a great first weekend, and for Dan Watson in a new position and the Grand Rapids Griffins trying to bounce back, and carrying the narrative of there are a lot of Red Wings knocking on the door in Grand Rapids, that's the kind of story that you want to see from there. Edvinson, we know, is the closest to the Red Wings. I think you'll hear that come from the Griffins themselves. The Red Wings themselves will say that pretty openly. It's only a matter of time before he makes it up. But Beargren finished his training camp strong, didn't do enough to earn a job out of it, but you know that he's going to take this opportunity, and I don't imagine it's going to be very long for him either. I would hope not. Okay, that is Detroit's opening. We talked about what's coming up next for them. Let us jump over to our conversation with Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, where we talk about his predictions for the season, his take on the opening, and then an interesting conversation on Mo Sider and his contract. So make sure you stay tuned for that, and we'll see you on the other side. Max, is the adrenaline worn off yet, buddy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's mid-season form i know it i'm, uh, yeah. I'm at a deficit of adrenaline to be honest so uh, it was actually a nice little injection a little bit to hear the little caesar's arena that loud and uh it's uh, hopefully builds back up my my uh capacity for for adrenaline actually i'm getting the impression based on how this team's offense has been buzzing the last couple of games that that will they'll build up your tolerance over the course of the season yeah, I, I think uh, that's been really interesting to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know how much we're, we're diving right into this here, but uh, yeah, it that's that was the vision, right? And it, it was, you know, if uh, if they can have four lines that all have scoring talent on them, they're not going to be out of games in the same way that they have been. And you know, lo and behold, they they trail to two of the, you know, there's one of them was in the first period, but they trail to two of the best teams in the league in the first two games and. Uh, one of them they they tie and then lose, and the other they take the lead and run with it. And I thought they dramatically outplayed Tampa Bay. So, um, yeah, they, they certainly are uh, delivering on the on the vision. I think so far. So let's start with that game because that's what everyone's buzzing about. Detroit's home opener, a six four win against Tampa Bay. Home openers against Tampa Bay seem like it's like an automatic electric game, no pun intended. And it felt like all the storylines on offense that people were looking for were that were there. Daniel Sprong scoring, DeBrinket scoring twice in his homecoming, you know, three goals on the season. Lucas Raymond throwing a guy in, who's at Acemont, into the bench and scoring a goal as well. Yeah. Larkin factoring in, like, it was an absolutely electric game. Not without, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I agree with you. Detroit absolutely outplayed Tampa Bay. They did, and it was in a lot of different ways. I don't think either goaltender actually had a particularly good game. I mean, Huso probably was up against much higher danger chances but this really was you know the the star power of the lightning and steven stamkos and victor hedman 
um, against kind of the, the new guys for Detroit and, and Alex DeBrinkett and Daniel Sprong and JT Comfort. You mentioned Raymond, who I thought has been excellent to start the season, but, um, DeBrinkett, I thought was the biggest difference maker in that game, not just for his two goals, but the getting those pucks to the net that, you know, Sprong pokes one of them in and he was buzzing around the zone. So that was a good test. And I, I think it was, it was, you were Prashant that sent to our group chat that, uh, evolving hockey, uh, expected goals, like differential thing. And, I walk, I saw that as I was walking to the press room and it was like a good confirmation of like, okay, that, that was what I thought I just saw, which was the Red Wings clearly outplay the Lightning at, at five on five. Is there any element to this where even two games in, you're thinking, did we underestimate Detroit's offense? Like, personally, you know, on the pod, we've been thinking, yes, Detroit got to bring it. They added Sprong. Goss' Spear should bring some offense. But overall, this team might be want for goals over the course of the season. And, you know, I think nine goals over the first two games here and a lot of really good offensive pressure, even in the loss to New Jersey. Are you at all second guessing yourself or thinking this team might be a little bit more apt offensively than we gave them credit for? My first instinct is to say no for two reasons, but I, I kind of have to, it's going to be an unsatisfying answer, which is my, uh, my trademark. Um, the, <laughs> some of the goals they've scored have been kind of fluky, right? The Debrinket one that bounces, you know, both of Sprongs. Um, but at the same time, they've had a ton of really good chances that I thought they deserved to score that didn't go in. So, uh, I think it's probably too early for me to really feel like I didn't give them enough credit kind of thing, but I would say it, it's been certainly what they were selling, right? Like what, what they were selling of, of like what this team could be, they have been. And I don't know that I was or am fully buying that yet. Um, but I believe it. I believe it's certainly in part that like the, this, the team is, they are deeper. Like it's, it's just a stone cold fact. And I think they, they do have more goals. And after last night, one of my questions to Derek Lone was like, do you think you guys actually for what, like for the first time in a while can get easy offense? It seems like every year for the past several years, even before Lone got here, it was, you know, the Red Wings aren't going to be a team that scores easy. So they have to make sure they don't give anything up. Last night, they outscored their mistakes. And I don't think that's what they want to, they want to do. But it might be something that they can do now. And it's early to say that. I'm still kind of watching for it. But that was that was kind of one of my – one of the thoughts I was kicking around. I think I even put a line about it in my article um, off that game of just like if that's something they can do now, it makes them a different team. It makes me more confident that when they go into Buffalo and Tage Thompson puts five points up on them, it's not – I mean, okay, five points that is. But Tage Thompson puts three points up on them. It's not an automatic loss, right? So – what other storylines on offense are standing out to you? Obviously, Debrinkit's a big one, but uh, is there anyone else who's kind of come through over the past two games where you've said this is going to be uh, something that's a way bigger benefit to Detroit or, or even an unexpected benefit to Detroit? Well, Raymond, for sure. I think Raymond lo- looks like what they wanted to happen with him has happened. He looks way stronger on pucks. He's creating all things. That, that was the reason that I thought Perron was the best fit on the top line coming in was that he could win pucks for Larkin and for Debrinket. He could play down low really well. And it's why someone even asked me in the comments after game one, would you take Perron off of that line? And I said, no, because I, I believe in those things. They did take him off that line. And Raymond actually, I'm not saying he's better at that than Perron is. Perron has all the track record to say that he is better at that. But Raymond probably did enough of that to that he then added his own blend of skill and kind of youthful uh, elusiveness into that he ended up being better there than Perron was. And so that I thought was huge. Uh, and then the other guy that I want to mention would be JT Comfer, who I was not sure if last year was a going to be an outlier for JT Comfer or not. 
it's been two games plus the preseason, but I do actually really believe that he looks like a guy who you can really believe is going to be turning in 50 points uh, for the Red Wings this season because he he looks really smart. He's making plays. He's getting the pucks. He's, he's, he has those hard elements that you think of when you think of JT Comfer. But uh, I do think that the hockey sense is real. So, Yeah, Comfer's game has been really good to watch. You know, I've been pretty open about the fact that I've been excited about Daniel Sprong. He has two goals. I would love to say those two goals are proof that the Red Wings have a bona fide goal scorer, but it's funny because his goals haven't exactly been, they've both been fluky, as you mentioned. But what he's shown on the ice in terms of the trigger that he has pulled, even on the shots that haven't gone in, I really like the the kind of depth that Daniel Sprong has brought as well. Um, and with the two games, obviously Detroit lost their first game against New Jersey 4-3. It really, that was a 4-2 game more so just because Fabry got that late goal with 30 right. seconds, but still a 4-3 game. Or a 3-2 because the empty netter. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So that game to me and a little bit of Tampa Bay, even though Detroit outscored the issue, uh, did demonstrate some areas to key in on on defense if you're Derek Lalone in the Red Wings and, and some gaps on defense. So what stood out for you? I think what it is for me is it's it's the assertiveness in terms of forcing pucks to the net in terms of unnecessary pinches, it, like usually I think when we talk about like the Red Wings defense needing to be better, uh, we're talking about, we're maybe wrongly talking about the defense min when it's a, it's a full team thing. In this case, I think it was defense men making mistakes that weren't strictly about defending. It was like risk decisions by the defensemen that were just not what the Red Wings needed to be doing. Petrie's had a couple of them, honestly, um, a couple of penalties that he had a bad pinch, whatever. Um, and he's a new guy. Like it, it kind of makes sense that a new guy would be one of the ones to have those mistakes. And, you know, I know fans are letting him hear it. So that's, you know, that's, I guess what it is, but um, I do think he's a veteran player who's going, he should know better regardless, but he, he will fall into that. I believe, um, I don't think, you know, only motto, that was a surprising one. Like the, the forced shot off a shin pad that turns into a goal the other way. Um, that didn't really look like he had a great shooting lane there. And, and the only motto I felt like we came to know last season probably just puts that puck down into a corner and lives to see another day. Maybe that's like a, he's getting into the lineup after being a scratch and wants to do something. I, I can't really like armchair psychologist that, but that those are the uncharacteristic things that have surprised me because up until now, it felt like we were saying, okay, this team has like a league average defense. If you gave them a league average offense, like you, you'd have like a middle of the pack team. And I know that's not what everyone's looking for long-term, but it's the incremental steps, right? At least in terms, until some of those prospects get here. Now it feels like they have a, a league average, at least potential uh, offense. And, and the, you know, they've just giving they're giving up way too much premium looks. So that is what has surprised me through two games. Which is so funny because I think something that I preached leading up to the season was Detroit is going to win a lot of ugly games that are going to be lower event. They're going to be stingy. They're going to need the defense from forwards and defense and and whoso or whoever's in net to really buckle down. And in case, you know, their top players go cold or there's an injury, they're going to have to win a lot of 2-1, 3-2, 3-1 games, which isn't the most fun to watch, but that's kind of how the Red Wings are set up. And here they are with a everything goes in blow the roof off the LCA 6-4 win over Tampa Bay last night, which is, I don't want to say it's unwelcome, but it's definitely way different than we thought. You talked uh, about projections here and, and where the Red Wings might be headed. We didn't get a chance to bring you into our season preview time, so I'm going to do this. You get two games of cheating, so you have two games of information. What do you project for the Red Wings this season? Are you, if you're willing to do a points total, a playoff yeah. percentage, whatever you might might want to throw in there. 
I said 88 points. Um, I mean, the playoff percentage is, you know, whatever, because I, I, I'd just be throwing out a number that says like somewhere between not impossible and still unlikely, right? Uh, 20, 25%, you know, I don't know, but, uh, 88 points is my projection. And I think if it's 88 points, your playoff odds are zero because that's not, uh, the, the, the margin for error there is just, I could be seven points off in either direction, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of what I would call the margin of error. If they're a 95 point team, you might be a playoff team. You wouldn't always be two years ago. It was a hundred. Um, but it would have been last year. So I, I don't think they're that, but I'm willing to allow that I could be within that much margin of error off on that. Uh, I think 88, which I think is clearly better. It's four wins better and it's still not playoff level. But I think if you, if you are an 88 point team and you add a full season assignment, Edvinson and, whatever growth Nate Danielson and, and Carter Mazur can make this season um, in the next couple years. I think there's a path to being like not just a wildcard team. That's the positive outlook. The negative outlook is if you don't get those things and if Philly Huso isn't, you know, a, a legit league average or better starter, you're, and that's what everyone's worried about. Like where, where, what does that leave you? It leaves you picking 10 to 13 and really hoping to get a find. Um, and that, that was the article I wrote on the day before the season was like, there's a lot that this team could be still. And, and I don't think any of us know for sure what we're looking at, not just this season, but in like the, the grand scheme and the larger rebuild. And it's made for, I'm sure you've noticed it, like real intense debates within like the fan base and the comment sections and Twitter and all that stuff. And, and it's just made for a really interesting spot. I, even like national media, I think seem to be really divided on whether we're watching like kind of the next team that the next team that's their, their turn to take a step or a team that's the next Minnesota wild or Calgary flames. Right. And, uh, or Nashville or whatever, right. All the teams that we're used to talking about in the, the dreaded mushy middle. So everyone's split on it. And I don't know which one I'm looking at. There are days I think it's one, there are days I think it's the other. And it, it makes for a really interesting season. Outside of the context of this season, you know, what I've said to Brad the other day actually was the Red Wings are not locked into one path in terms of like heading towards the mushy middle. But if they are going to avoid it, there needs to be one of two things happening, maybe both, but at least there are going to have to be moves made and not, I mean, like typical moves, like just draft your draft picks and call up players and, and do waivers. Like I think Steve Eisenman is going to have to GM his way around some things yep. contract wise or trying to bring in more talented players maybe they strike gold with lottery luck or something or, or find a absolute superstar lower down in the draft than they anticipated who knows how meteoric nate danielson's yeah. perceived rise is going to be i'm assuming that's olive who's on oh, the yeah. pod right now making her 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 uh, annual appearance she's not on every time but probably at least once a year well the tiger season is over so that's right yeah. yes so that's that's kind of the way I look at it is what the Red Wings have right now. I understand folks who are saying, yeah, they might do better this season, but what does it mean long term? But the way I think about it is they didn't have the lottery luck and they're still going to have to make moves to get around it. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's kind of the the reason that the Iser plan meme, right? That That phrase was always so like... I, I thought it was supposed to be a joke all along. And then some people kind of seemed like maybe they really believe it, but there's only so much you can plan for in this process, right? Like they were bad enough to get the kind of talent that they needed. Uh, they may have gotten it. We know only two of the five picks inside the top six or seven or whatever it was, eight. Um, 
but you know, we really only know two of them, uh, or I guess one has left, but you get the point. Uh, we still got to see Evanson. We still got to see Casper. We still got to see Danielson. Hey, look, let's, let's see, uh, what they got out of that. We, we know two of them and we don't even know fully, but even beyond that, like it's just, you can only control so much of it. And it, that's not just the draft. That's who you're getting in free agency. It's, you know, how your certain trades work out. We, we, we thought that Jacob Verona trade was a masterclass at various points in, in the last couple of years. Turns out both teams probably are like, great. That, that did absolutely nothing for us, but waste our time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see if Sebastian Cosa makes that seem a little different. Um, he had a great first game in, in Grand Rapids from what I understand for uh, Saturday night. I wasn't able to watch it, but I saw the stats and he had like 41 out of 43 saves or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. that's great. If he turns out, that's huge, but it, he might not, especially with goalies. You cannot plan, uh, on that. So where am I at with it? Like, I, it, I think it's just kind of this wait and see a little bit. And, and as you said, take some non draft GMing to, to get around. Um, everyone's going to say trade for Elias Pettersson. And I agree, if you can do it, if, if he's going to become available, you do pretty much whatever you got to do. Because I think if you're looking at a forward core that's Pedersen, Larkin, Debrinkit, Raymond, and you maybe get to keep one of your two young centers, Casper or Danielson or something, you're in great shape, obviously. But I, I don't know if that's possible, right? I, Vancouver, Vancouver may very well get that done. Um, and, and it's not even an option. So whatever it's going to be, though, we've seen enough players of that caliber get traded now that I'm I'm no longer so cynical about the idea of finding a star in, in that, in that way, you know, um, as I would have been three or four years ago. So I don't know how it happens. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, you can't just plan. It's not just do this, do this, do this. But I agree with you. That that's probably at this point what it's going to take, barring some lottery luck, barring them finishing with the, you know, 11th best lottery odds and moving up to one or something like that. Uh, like, I just, I don't, and even then, like you might get Alexi Lafreniere. <laughs> like it's not that he's a bad player, but he's not the the game changer that everyone is lamenting the Red Wings not having. He's not necessarily better than Lucas Raymond, who the Red Wings got in that draft, right? Like you maybe they maybe the Red Wings would have picked Stutzla or something, but maybe they wouldn't have, you know? So it's uh they need something to go their way, whether it's a it's a trade or whether it's a, a bounce or something. I don't think the course they're on just via like you know, inertia leads them to a Stanley Cup, but I don't think their path to a Stanley Cup is like, you know, going to take them off a cliff necessarily either. It's just, it's going to take some, some working. You mentioned players like Edvinson, Soderblom, Berggren earlier. What do you make of Detroit's decisions in terms of who made the active roster, who went down to Grand Rapids? Obviously, it seems like Edvinson is first up uh, in, in case of injury uh, on defense or what, in case someone gets waved or scratched or yeah. whatever. And then at forward, what do you make of that? Different depending on the 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 player there. Like I didn't think Bergen or Soderblom had good enough camps to make the team. I thought Bergen closed strong, but I didn't think he was better than anyone in the top nine. Um, maybe even anyone in the top twelve. Like I don't know that I could definitively tell you he was like better than Clem Costin because they're just such different players. Christian Fisher, I think, looks pretty solid, right? Like they're such different players. Um 
So I didn't have a problem with them sending those guys down because I think they they just didn't have very good preseasons. Bergen's off to a nice start in Grand Rapids. I saw, I fully expect that we're going to see him for like 50, 60 plus games this season, maybe even more. He, he was not notably uh, the call up uh, to take to Columbus, but we don't know if Austin Zarnick is even going to play for them in Columbus. Um, Robbie Fabry's injury, as far as we know, is short term. They were even hopeful that they were going to have him in that game. So, um, and he may play. So uh, we'll find out how long that takes, but I didn't have any problem with those. I really thought Edvinson deserved to make the team. And especially with that open roster spot that they have, like they ent- entered the season with a 22 man roster. Uh, I did feel like he played well enough that they probably should have been scratching two veteran D uh, to do that, to make that happen. And they didn't, and they felt differently. And that's just, you know, beat writers don't get a say in that decision. And my vote actually is the least informed of anyone making that decision. Your commenters uh, are shocked to hear this. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, I know. I know. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I, so it's not like I'm saying like, I have a real problem with this, but I'm just saying like, when I watched it, I thought he deserved to make it. He had the penalties were the only thing I could consistently say, like, he's got to clean that up. And in the Red Wings defense, penalties are what cost them the New Jersey game. And he certainly would have taken one or two of those same exact penalties. So, I, in that way, like, I feel like they're in, you know, I couldn't criticize it on that night, even though I didn't think the defense was very good. He might have forced a shot too in, in the Tampa game. And so, like, he still is going to have those raw moments, but I just did feel like he did just about everything else they, they wanted to see from him. And I felt like having seen that, I thought he should have made the team, but he didn't. And I still, I still have no doubt. Like, he, Lalone talked about, he, he earned a lot of trust from the staff. To me, that means we are going to see him this year. I don't think we're going to have to wait that long. And I think when we do, he's going to be as good and, and he's going to find a way to stay up. So he scores a great goal in, in, uh, on the weekend. He gets an assist. Like he's off to a good start in Grand Rapids. And I just, you know, it's just like there was that stretch where it was like Zadina and Rasmussen. I think there was one other player too who all like started in Grand Rapids and then they were called up within like the first 20 games and uh, maybe Valeno. Um, like first round picks. So like they would, they would start him and we would all be like, what? We thought, we thought maybe he would make it. And then they're up within like the first two months and they don't go back down. And I think that's what's going to happen with Edvinson. So I was surprised with it. I think it's really weird to not have any first or second year players, uh, on this roster to start the season. Certainly the first time that's happened since I've been on this beat, but, uh, that I can remember at least. Um, but I, you know, I can't say that he was perfect either. And I, can't say that I think it's like offensive that he wasn't on the team. I just was surprised. In the end, I think it's just impressive that after the shoulder surgery that he had in the offseason recovery that he had to have, that he's made it this much of a conversation, honestly. Yeah. Right. Uh, because coming into camp, I, I actually didn't think he would make it because of the totally. injury. Yeah. And then he was really good. And I was like, oh, well, then if he's this good, he should be on the team. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't. And that's just what it is. I don't think it's that big a deal. Two defensemen I want to talk about before we let you go here. Uh, first, Mo Sider's partner, Jake Wallman who it feels wrong talking about this without Prashanth in the room because obviously he is the leader of the Jake Wallman is underappreciated and you better put some respect on his name. Yeah, he might be Jake Wallman's agent. Have we checked on that? (laughs) No, we haven't. So there might be a conflict of interest there, which I think leaves us liable to some kind of lawsuit, which wouldn't be a first for us. But with Jake Wallman, it seems like I know just two games in, but he's continuing the kind of strong play that we saw all of last season since he, he joined the cider pair. That pairing hasn't been perfect. I think they've had their, you know, warts here and there. But all in all, is Jake Wallman like an, a bona fide actual like stud that the Red Wings found? I think so. And that's that's like, I make the joke, but I think Prashant's right. Like I think Jake Wallman is that good. Like I 
I think he can kind of be the Red Wings Devin Taves, if that's not too lofty in terms of like, you just, you get this guy and Taves was a little more proven than Wallman was at the time he was acquired, but you get this guy and he turns out to be not just like plays really well with your star, but like really, really good in his own right. Like defensively, Jake Wallman is just an absolute monster in breaking up transition. Like I don't think there's anyone on the Red Wings. I think they, that you would rather see someone you know, facing one-on-one, like including Cider in that scenario, like Wallman just is an animal taking the pucks off them and, and killing those plays. Um, Cider more physical, obviously, and um, the long-term upside is obviously on, on his side being so young, but like Wallman's a beast and it's really impressive. Now his partner, Mo Cider, who I think has had a an interesting first couple of games. He's had some like really standout plays, that diving save on the eventual Debrinka goal. The, the buzzer beater last night was funny, and he's had moments where he's been really good, and I think there have been moments where it's like a kind of start of season rust with a defensive lapse here and there. Less about his game, though, and more about the comparables from across the league who are signing contracts. Cider's in a contract year. He's due for his first post-ELC contract hasn't signed and we have now watched, you know, Rasmus Dahlin signed for 8 years times 11 million dollars. Jake Sanderson has signed, uh, Owen Power not too long after Dahlin and we're seeing these young defensemen signed to really really long contracts for, you know, high dollar. Like teams are are paying a pretty penny. I don't think Dahlin took that much of a discount if at all. But what does this mean for an eventual cider contract and uh, is there any kind of concern that this hasn't been done yet? or of a, what a bridge could potentially do to Detroit? Concern in the way of like, did the Red Wings miss an opportunity? Like, it's still going to get done. It's, it's, there's no concern that like, this is headed in a disastrous direction kind of thing. Um, but I do think if you do the Cider deal before the Sanderson deal, and especially before the Power deal, Darlene's not like the, a one-for-one comp for him because he's not coming out of ELC, he's coming out of his bridge. So it's not going to necessarily be that territory. But I do think like Sanderson and Power are both guys who are like below Cider in terms of a comp, right? So it's like their contracts matter because you're not going to get Cider for the same contract that you got Power because Cider has has done more in the league already. And, and at this stage of the contract, like Cider's shown more offense and um, Power's the number one overall pick. But like, you know, you expect that Cider, at least in, when it comes to negotiating a contract, like is going to get more. So... I think you could have gotten that power deal this summer, maybe even a little lower. I don't know that, but that's just my hypothesis. And I think now you're going to have to go over that number and maybe over it by a decent chunk. Like I, I don't know how to like, I, cause I don't want to speculate too much and like make everyone think these are like hard numbers that like were offers on the table or something. But like it wouldn't shock me now if in order to get, um, you know, seven years a seven year deal, you have to go to where Dylan was at to get an eight year deal, which is 8.7 million. And to get an eight year deal, it wouldn't shock me if you had to go to above that, like 9 million. Maybe it doesn't go there that far. Maybe Cider's willing to, you know, kind of do the internal cap thing and say, okay, they're both going to make 8.7 million. Like that's, I don't think that's impossible. Maybe you do a six year deal to lower the cap hit a little bit. But I just think what we're seeing with all of these deals, a lot of them are in the Red Wings division with teams that are doing in the same part of their, cycle that the Red Wings are is that when you lock up stars early, you get surplus value. You know, Jack Hughes' contract is going to be the best contract in hockey, period, in within a couple of years. And 
I think that Tim Stutzler is not that far off of that. Dylan Cousins is, is going to be a, a tremendous contract. Uh, and I think the Owen Power contract is going to be a steal within a couple of years. And so I don't think you should be afraid to give Mo Sider, you know, eight and a half to $9 million if you're getting him for long term, because within two or three years with the way the cap's going up, it's going to be a, a steal. But if you, the longer you wait, if you wait until he, let's say Mo Sider puts up 15 goals this year, what are you going to have to pay him? You know, like, are you in Adam Fox territory at that point, which is nine and a half? Like, I don't know. Like, it, but these things can happen. You want you want him to put up 15 goals and 60 points. And if he does that, you're going to have to pay him a lot more than you would have this past summer. And so I harped on it last year with Larkin. I thought that deal should have gotten done. And I thought it cost them money because it bought time for the Islanders to make Barzell and Horvat uh, make those contracts, get those contracts done. That raised what the comparables were for Larkin. I think the same thing has happened with Cider. Maybe that's me overreacting, but that's how I see it. All right, folks. Well, there's a whole season ahead of Red Wings hockey. We're hoping that it's more uh, interesting, high event, fun hockey so that every time we have Max on, we can watch his uh, adrenaline crash and uh, observe that in a funny way. But Max, thank you so much for joining. Folks, uh, follow Max on Twitter at M underscore Baltman. And more importantly, subscribe to The Athletic where you can find all of Max's work. What you should do is go to his uh, Twitter profile and click on a link there and then subscribe from the link in those articles. Max has a ton of preseason preview stuff. He is writing after every game. He has uh, stories, short, long, medium term uh, in terms of projecting out the Red Wings. So uh, always worth the price of admission. Max, did I do an okay job on your your pitch there? You might have overpromised with every game. I'm I am not writing after every game. I have so far though, so I guess we can let that slide. But I really appreciate. Obviously, like you're my guy. I really appreciate all the kind words and uh, it. You know, any any anyone who wants to subscribe, we would we would love to have you. Perfect. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in, Max. Thanks for joining, and until next time. Absolutely, man. And that was our conversation with Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit. I mean what I said. His work is worth reading and always great to have him on the show. I want to continue off my conversation with Max there and Mo Sider and his contract. And by extension, Lucas Raymond and his contract. But we're seeing the you know comparables one way or another roll in in the world of defense. Yeah, Mo Sider and, and Rasmus Dahlin aren't the same players and they're not even the same phase of their careers in terms of second versus third contracts. But Dahlin at 11, Owen Power coming in, Jake Sanderson coming in and, and they are moving their benchmarks up. And I think those are good deals, and you're now starting to see an increased salary cap be realized. Does this worry you a little bit about you know the cost of a Mosider contract? Does it worry you about it potentially being a bridge? I think Max said it well. No one should be worried because the contract's going to get done one way or another. But do you think this is running late now? Yes, but I don't think... There was anything Eisenman could do about this. I think we talked about it at some point in an off-season episode. If I'm Mo Sider, I'm trying to bridge, like, full stop. I don't, I wouldn't entertain a long-term contract because the smart way to maximize your money as a player now is take a bridge, take a big payday, and then take another big payday. Like, eight-year contracts probably lose players' money versus, you know, doing what Austin Matthews is doing on, you know, three, four, five-year contracts over and over again and just increasing his AAV every time... He renegotiates a new contract because the salary cap has gone up. Now, that being said, if Mo Sider is interested in an eight-year deal, Eisenman should have done that yesterday Mm -hmm. and the day before that and the day before that. 
The thing is, none of this worries me or surprises me because this is exactly what I thought the defensive market was. No new information has come out. It's just confirming what we all already thought the defensive market was, which is insane. You know, Jake Sanderson with a year, like 70 something games played, gets the bag. You know, Owen Power, who was a literal rookie last year, like Jake Sanderson, gets the bag. Rasmus Dahlin, obviously one of the best defenders on the planet. So 11 million is no surprise. And obviously that contract of his is going to be eating up more UFA years than a hypothetical eight year deal for Cider would. Credit to Devon Tazel for taking 7.25. I hate I mean, Colorado so much. <laughs> he's almost 30, though. That's different. Yeah, it, It's very different. They, but I do think they got him on a good deal. Oh, they're in their window now. The first three, four years of that contract are going to be phenomenal. And if the back half isn't great, who cares? That's when they're exiting their window, right? That's what you have to do to win cups and remain competitive. But I don't think the Devontae's contract's comparable. For no, Cyber no, it's not. All. It's not. I'm just, I'm uh, equally annoyed that Colorado got a great deal done. Yeah, so... Mo Sider's contract, if he chooses to go eight years, will be somewhere between Sanderson and Darlene, which will probably be nine point something, which is what I've thought it would be all along. But as time go- goes on, my my opinion on the AAV on an eight-year deal hasn't changed. The likelihood of an eight-year deal has changed. Mm-hmm. I, I would foresee that being a two or a three-year deal uh, more likely just because, again, if I put myself in Mo Sider's shoes that's what I would do to maximize my dollars earned. First of all, and Evan grabbed the puke bucket. Don't tell me what to do. I'm sorry, Brad, you were right. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need it. It it happens a lot. It's just, you know. Oh God, don't make me. (laughs) But I do like, I fully, I believed what I said when I was arguing for a while that I think this could be a number that starts with eight, but I think the clock just ran out on that eventuality. Like it needed to have gotten done. Now it's, it's very easy to say, and I have said it, you know, in our conversations off air before that, like it is, I do think a trick was missed here or like it would have been really great if Eisman could get this done before. But what it does boil down to objectively is you don't know what's happening behind the scenes and any agent who just reads the basic handbook of how to be a sports agent will say, encourage your player who is a star to do this path, which Brad just very smartly outlined. And I think that's what's happening here. Even with Lucas Raymond, you know, what were the chances of him signing after last season long-term going to be? Low because he knew he didn't have a career year and he didn't really take a massive step and he knew there was more to him. It's not really uncommon for rookies to then have good rookies to have then have a, you know, a little bit of a plateau for their sophomore season. So he probably wasn't interested in signing or he was happy to bridge, but not long-term. So it's easy to say you need to get it done, but if the players aren't interested, uh, it changes things. The NHL is moving more and more towards a player empowered space, especially in terms of contracts for star players. But the buck does stop with Eisman. So I think the most important thing here, as you said, Brad, find a way to get this done long-term. The AAV, you can make work. You overpay for your stars. That's fine by me. I've always said that. You work around. But if these are two bridge deals, you're getting dicey there. My, so I've got lots of thoughts on this. From a team perspective, I think you always, if you know they're a cornerstone of your franchise, you just always lock them up as long as you can. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they have tried to do that with both Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. I would imagine neither of them are interested in that because I think, Obviously, they can still inc- improve their AAV. 
I think there's a lot more that both of them expect in terms of counting stats. I think that AAV will only go up for both of them. And I think they know that. And that's why we are where we are. If I'm both of those players, I'm timing the cap, especially if I'm Moritz Sider, because he screams all-star Norris caliber defenseman for a long amount of time. I could definitely see him going down sort of more the Austin Matthews route, timing the the salary cap, that sort of thing. Lucas Raymond, I'm you know I I get echoes of that, but I don't get the same strong vibe. Um, but there's no way he was signing a long term deal given uh, last season. So I think where we are is kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how those contracts work their work themselves out though. Can I step us way sideways and talk about the Tampa game for a second? Because there's it, it was so chock full of excitement and good did you see lines. Lucas Raymond's hit? We should Brad's right. We should be talking about it more. Not just Lucas Raymond, but Asimov also got leveled by Jeff Petrie too, who laid out a nice hit on him. Like that poor guy just got Tough his night. Tough oh night. my god! Anyone who's played hockey has had a night like that where they just get leveled left and right, and that was his. His name came up on the the, the card yeah. that night. The Mo Sider buzzer beater with 0.1 seconds left <laughs> was the funniest goal I've ever seen the Red Wings score. And Daniel Sprong scored twice this season so far without shooting the puck. <laughs> like, Ken is doing his end-of-game goal call, and in it, he says the Red Wings win by one, and Mo Sider with 0.1 seconds left says, nope, and fires it from the blue line off of, like, a, a stick-checked shot that just careened down the ice. That was hysterical. We even said, we said, oh yeah, Mo Sider's not perfect. Goal at the end of the game on an empty net. Uh, his point shot was tipped in on a, a good tip by Comfer. Like two point, like that's the kind of stuff where the the story gets lost in a great night of hockey. But that was, yeah, I, I want to call attention to an empty net goal and a hit on a depth player. That's how pumped up we are about hockey <laughs> being back. Okay, let's jump into some NHL news here. First, I want to uh, acknowledge uh, a story that came out ESPN NHL studio analyst and, you know, longtime NHL coach and uh, analyst and voice and presence. Uh, Barry Melrose is stepping away from, you know, being on our screens and, and us being able to listen to him as uh, he has been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, um, which is, you know, devastating news. But the entire hockey world is sending their uh, their hearts out to him and, and are, are behind him in his fight against that. He is quoted as saying, I've had over 50 extraordinary years playing, coaching, and analyzing the world's greatest game, hockey. Uh, And obviously, he's going to be missed. So uh, thoughts go to Barry Melrose. Thank you for uh, such an incredible career serving hockey overall. And um, uh, we'll miss him on the screens for sure. Maybe on the Mount Rushmore of hockey hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unreal hockey hair. Okay. Because it's a big story. Uh, we all know how the NHL handled, uh, it started with Ivan Provorov and the Philadelphia Flyers and he chose not to wear the pride jersey and um, the ultimate outcome of that was the NHL and that was his right to do so and the NHL decided that they were going to do, get rid of all pregame special jerseys like the, you know, whether it be Pride or Hockey Fights Cancer Night or Military Appreciation, they weren't going to do any like special edition jerseys. And then there was a clarification sought because there's been a little bit of confusion on Pride tape, which has never been a mandatory thing. And some players just wear it, even not on Pride nights, uh, but often on Pride nights where they'll wear the tape. 
and the NHL in a bid to make it a non-story and, and take attention because the negative media attention that came from the Provorov thing is something that they're trying to avoid, uh, created a massive backlash by saying that you're not allowed to wear the, the rainbow tape on your stick, which my first thought was, I don't know that that's actually enforceable and it never was a mandatory thing for all players anyways. So I didn't really get it. And then the massive outcry afterwards just caused the exact scene that the NHL was trying to avoid. So uh, that's currently, that was a story heading into the start of the season. The only thing missing from this story is a picture of Barbara Streisand in the corner of every article written on this. Like, how have they never heard of this? And it's like, okay, you don't want the story? Don't do it. No one reasonable is going to get mad at tape existing. And now it's just turned into this entire flashpoint that was so avoidable. Like, <laughs> Great timing, too. Just like right at the start of the season. Like, it's rainbow- great sport. Terrible management. Like, the, it's rainbow tape. It's fine. It, this whole thing is stupid in every sense of the word and just the perfect microcosm for how the NHL just can't get out of their own damn way when it comes to any common sense. Because as much as I disagreed with them taking away Pride Night jerseys and Theme Night jerseys, I at least understood the train of thought. Hey, even though seven out of like 700 players refused to wear the jersey, it did create a bad spotlight. Okay, I, I'd say highlight the positive versus focusing on the negative, but I, I disagree with the decision to ban it, but I at least understood what they were doing. This was literally them walking up to a bear trap, looking at it and go, this looks fun. <laughs> Let's step on that. And then, oh, this sucks. So they wanted to ban the jerseys to avoid controversies. This is the most lawyer league of all time. Yeah. So then they ban the tape and walk right into a controversy. It's like, no one, no, the tape was never part of the art. Like it's, it's so just stupid. The funny thing is, is I, I buy the NHL's own rules. I don't know that it's enforceable. I, I think players are still going to use it and they've now created it a situation where instead of it being like something that is completely optional tucked away, it's not really a big statement because players would wear, would have pride tape on their sticks all the time. And you wouldn't really, it wouldn't be on the front page of any story. Now, you know, if Connor McDavid ever goes out there and wears it or other players have said, they're still going to do it. And I think Brian Burke has come out and said, he'll pay the fines. Like, and it is now going to be a front page story. You know, when it comes up, a bunch of them are going to slap it on their stick in support of the gay community, and all of a sudden, it's a story again that Gary Bettman didn't want. The NHL, folks. And the uh, the irony of this all is this will somehow trip and fall backwards into some good PR because all the players who are using it and are going against the system to be an ally is going to be a positive news story when it happens. So it's going to be positive side stories because one of the big uh, silver linings that has come out of this is apparently uh, the company that produces the Pritate has been inundated with orders, including from several NHL teams yeah. ordering the Pride tape. So you can tell everybody's just like, eh, screw, screw Batman. We're, There's gonna be a we're still back. doing this. There's going to be a walk back from the league. That's it has to be. Yeah. There has or to they're be. just not going to say anything in the most NHL way. And just, it just happens and no, they never speak of it again. Okay. Let's jump into overtime. Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show and join the Dub Dub Club. 
you get access to incredible benefits like our Winged Wheel podcast, Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is a fantastic community. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to all of our overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones, and any bonus content that we have, which we do from time to time. So patreon.com slash podcast if you want to join for those benefits and more. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons here. Norris Sider says, a couple weeks back, I asked what you guys thought Moe's ceiling was for points, and I believe your answer was roughly 60 to 65. Regarding Moe's upcoming contract, we know McCarr took an AAV of 9 million, which is definitely a discount with the cap rising. So if Moe's looking for a similar number, but obviously produces a lot less, shouldn't that lean more in Eisenman's favor for negotiations? Or could Moe argue that his overall impact on the game for us would dictate a similar contract? Cheers. Uh, they are both going to be arguing that exact side of their argument. Yes. Yeah, you nailed it. That's going to be the... <laughs> if the contract was signed when McCarr was closer at the time of signing, like there weren't so many comparables in the way, the like Eisman would have had a lot more leverage to say, McCarr's only taking $9 million and you're not McCarr. But now that the new cap is realized and all these players are signed, like Owen Power is signing for north of 8.3 or whatever it is, like that is going to move it back in Sider's favor. The Mexanadian says, hey guys, longtime listener, first time caller. I just want to know if you think after last night, the fears of the Debrinket, Larkin, Raymond line being pushed around easily and not being able to produce were quelled. Thanks for the work you put in every week. Helps when you chuck a guy into the bench. They also haven't played the largest teams of all time to start the season. But they certainly, like, they won puck battles and they... I wouldn't say it's an issue by any means, but I wouldn't say they are the most physically dominant line of all time. But, you know, that doesn't have to be their their MO. You know what helps uh, against physical teams? Putting guys in the bench. Speed. Also putting guys in the bench. The Jack Scientist says, hey guys, firstly, I'd like to tell you to bottle up that home opener atmosphere and kindly inject it into my left arm. Thank you. Secondly, I have a hard time seeing how Edmondson doesn't fit in our D-line. Some of our defense has looked shaky, and every highlight I see of Grand Rapids has Edmondson, Soderblom, and Berggren looking too confident for the AHL. Yeah, the the door is being kicked. And based on what we saw in camp and just rationality, you know that it's not going to be long before at least one of them breaks through. And we can share with you that like the, the conversations within the organization are very much the same. Like, it's just kind of a waiting game where you either see what injuries shake out or if nothing shakes out, then you make a decision based on who deserves to be there and who isn't like things could turn around and every one of the Red Wings, you know, seven roster defensemen are all playing great. It could be literally an injury in practice tomorrow and that's it. And most, and Simon Evanson never goes to Grand Rapids ever again. You don't know how it's going to shake out, but something is going to move. Yeah. All right, moving on here. Kevin Wolf says, first weekend overreaction, when does Sprong get extended and what's the number? So, you know, joking, but actually though. Can't get extended till January 1st. So we'll start with that. I don't know. It depends on what kind of term he wants, but if he scores 20 something goals again this year, like you got to think he's going to be asking four mil plus. I think... If you like, if you like his game, you extend him because he brings an element that's hard to find a free agency. I don't think they they found something common in free agency and Sprung. We'll see how it goes. Like this could be just early. When I say Sprung is this year's Kubelik, he could be streaky like Kubelik. But I also think Kubelik contributed goals for Detroit. He's twenty six. He'll be twenty seven by the end of the year. That's a lot of really good high end productive years left. 
do you have to do your important guys first when you're talking about, you know, Sprong and the guys in the middle salaries? Yeah, I think you have to know what's happening with Sider and Raymond, but you don't exactly let Sprong walk to free agency if he's doing well all year in my mind. Clint Benesh says, your Eisman for the year, your plan is to start 2024 with as many of our young guys as we can. Who are you keeping through next season and who are you trading off? Interesting. What? So if you want, I I think you'll have to find a way to get rid of at least two of the older defensemen, if not three. Like you you find a way to get rid of, you know, Sherratt, uh Petrie's last year. And you bring in Edvinson and Johansson maybe. And then on offense, I mean, you have how many players expiring? Perron, Sprong, Rasmussen's going to be an ARB, RFA. Obviously, you're keeping Rasmussen. Christian Fisher, Valeno, Zarnik. Do you find a way to deal? But how many forwards are actually kicking down the door for the Red Wings at, like, at that position? There's not many. Two? Cas- well, uh, sorry, Casper Danielson. Maybe Mazer. Few years probably for Lombardi still. Yep, I would say Lombardi's not. Berggren and Soderblom. Eh, it's more than I thought. Yeah, yeah, it'll be hard to do. Not all of them are going to make it. That's the thing. Like that's what you have to remember. We we say this a lot. Not all of them will be a factor. Uh, Dead Aim says defense outside of Sider and Wallman has been meh. Ghost is a big offensive threat, but it seems like youth uh, like Edvinson could energize defense. What are your thoughts and who do you think should be waived or press box if that happened outside of an injury? So we get a lot of these questions, and the answer is. The injury will dictate it, but in terms of press box, if you see like anyone of Petrie or Sherratt or Mata or Hull or whoever, like who are struggling a quarter of the way into the season and and nothing has happened to injury wise yet, you have to make a decision with one of them in my mind. Jeremy Dahl says really exciting start to the season. Just awesome all around. Do you think they can sustain playing with one less forward? If not, who should get the call up? And who do you think is the first goalie to play when Huso gets a rest day? So jazzed to follow this with you guys. What a community you have started. Reimer's been the backup for the first two games, right? Yeah, I, I think Reimer will get the first nod. Yeah, that seems like the answer so far. It'll probably be this upcoming weekend because I think they go back-to-back, right? I think they go Ottawa-Calgary. Yep. So, yeah, I, I would imagine Reimer gets the first look, but they'll mix it up. Yeah, Ottawa is a 1 p.m. game and Calgary is a 5 p.m. game at home. So some travel in there too. All right, next question here. This will be our last one as we wrap up. Pock says the Red Wings have only lost once to Tampa since Lalone took over and even that was a game they should have won, but Vasilevsky played out of his mind. How much of an impact do you think coaching has on a team overall? Does Lalone have an advantage when playing Tampa because of how well he knows their systems? Yes, absolutely. Otherwise, what the hell else does a coach do? Yeah, I think they have a big impact. I think I think there's a lagging indicator on how a coach can affect the team and it's there's a lot more uh, there's a delay in terms of how much like if a coach starts doing really good things it's not like an immediate change on the ice it's not like other sports where football is a little bit more of a chess game and basketball is a little bit more dictated by one or two guys on a smaller court but I do think coaches have a big impact. And yeah, like Malone's talked a lot about the systems and decisions that were made in Tampa Bay that he constantly references. So yeah, I think that's a good point. He has the book on them. And it's really cool to to overperform against Tampa Bay. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. By the time we're back with you, we are going to be four games into the season. So hopefully some more good storylines. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in folks. The start of the season is always a really exciting time and what a home opener that was.
We'd like to thank all of you for tuning in. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. A listener of old, welcome to our 10th different season covering the Red Wings. Can you guys believe that? This is this the 10th th- season? 10th different season, yeah, because we, we came in at the end of the 14-15 season. Ew. Yeah. yeah that makes me want to throw up. Yep. We're getting old. Uh, to all of our patrons, we couldn't do this without you. Our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior Bradley Cleveland. Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond. Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, 05, Kinsler, 05, brand new name level supporter. Love the name as well. Uh, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Susan High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, Newhorn, who dis? R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snipshow, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks. <laughs> hey folks, a gentle reminder to join my, I'm not saying that out loud, page, Ryan Hanna Banana. Together we can break taboos and our goal of three members. James Laporte, Jer- James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron and your second favorite patron. We'll talk to you Thursday, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.